Might need my notes here. Uh, I can wing it maybe, but I think you'd appreciate that. <laughs> so. Yeah. If I was a real preacher, I wouldn't have notes. I'd just walk around and yell at people. and It's kind of what a coach does, just walk around and yell, Hey, you need to get me. Whatever. <laughs> well, how are those uh, New Year's resolutions going along there? Have everybody bailed out yet? Anybody hanging in there? I know I've wiped out already. Uh, I was told you last week about Pepsi, and that, well, that that lasted one afternoon, I think, and we're right back into it. So, oh well, but you know, New Year's resolutions are—they're kind of fun, and sometimes they're very serious. You stop and you think about them, and it's like, man. It's a great time to reflect on your life and think about some changes that you would like to make. And, and uh, some of them, you, you know, in my case, I feel like I'm fooling myself a little bit. Yeah, let's pretend we're going to get all these things straightened out this year. And, you know, maybe I will. Um, one of the subjects that I teach at school is psychology. I like to teach psychology. I'm a psychology minor. I almost have... Uh, uh, if I went back and took about six, seven more classes, I could be a community counselor, but I haven't done any of that stuff. And, uh, but one of the uh, interesting uh, journals that I read from time to time is one called the Journal of Clinical Psychology. And in this journal, uh, I found an article where they talk about approximately 50% of the population makes resolutions each new year. Okay, so that roughly half of us probably made some kind of a, a promise to ourselves. Yeah, I'm going to try to do better here. I'm going to lose some weight. Uh, I'm going to exercise. Uh, I'm going to stop smoking this year. I'm, I'm going to manage my money better, whatever. Uh, but a lot of times these things, they, they just don't stick. And, you know, it can get frustrating. You know, you start off with really good intentions and Sometimes, it, you know, it just doesn't work out, and it's, uh, it's always fun to see how long can you hang in there, and how long can you go. And the reason these things fail sometimes, I think, you, you know, we're not really ready to change our habits, particularly bad habits, that, uh, you know, I think that accounts for, you know, some of the high failure rate. We're just not ready for it. Unfortunately, some of the bad habits are the ones that are all the fun, so you, you don't want to, you don't want to give those up too, too soon, but... I think another reason, people often set unrealistic goals and, and expectations. I'm going to lose 100 pounds this year, and I'm going to do... And it's like, oh, come on. How about we start with five? <laughs> That'd be kind of good, you know? I don't know. Making resolutions work uh, essentially means changing your behaviors. And changing behaviors can be difficult. I mean, we spend a lifetime... Um, learning how to do things, our, our brain creates neural pathways that, that it relies upon, to, that it always goes back to, and it's very difficult to change those. You almost have to rewire your brain. It's interesting, they've used MRIs and they've discovered that habitual behavior is created by thinking patterns that create neural pathways and memories, which become the default basis for your behavior when your choice when you're faced with a choice or a decision. There's not always, not always a lot of thinking that goes into our decisions. 
we just automatically boop, go back to default. Uh, if I get angry, I'm in the kitchen. I'm, um, I got the refrigerator door open and I'm making a sandwich before I realize oh, I'm not even really hungry. <laughs> oh, well, huh, this sandwich is going to make... But, well, that's just sort of the default that my, my brain's falling back towards. So trying to change that default thinking by not trying to do something, and in effect, that just, just kind of strengthens it. Change requires creating new, new pathways, new ways of thinking to get these things to work. Wishing for change, hoping that change comes, that's not enough. It takes discipline to, to act. You have to act on it to make you know, changes to your behaviors. We see this in all aspects of life. And I think in the Christian life, of course, there are spiritual disciplines that the Bible talks about that promote spiritual growth among believers in the gospel of, uh, of Christ. And these are habits of devotion, uh, habits of experiential Christianity that have been practiced by God's people going all the way back to the, the first church, to the original church. If you have your Bibles, open up to Romans chapter 8. Now, you're going to hear me a lot this year asking you to turn your Bibles, get your Bibles out. I would love to see everybody have a Bible. Go home and look at your Bibles, pick your favorite one, bring it to church. Start bringing your Bibles. Now, if you want to be a cheater and use your little, my app, my Bible app, you could, all right, all right, but I, there's just something about the Bible. I mean, I love my Bible. I mean, I, I know where things are in it. I Just by using it, you just sort of figure out where things are at. I can't always do that with my, you know, my cell phone or, uh, you know, whatever. Those things are fine. I use them all the time to look things up and, but... You know, in the Bible, I've got things highlighted. I got things in there. It just for me, it helps. If you want to call me old school, go ahead. But I think you know, I would love to see everybody have have a Bible here. Be a be a Bible Bible student. Romans chapter eight. Uh, Starting at verse 26, we're talking about spiritual disciplines today. Okay, I'm challenging, I want to challenge everybody to, you know, we talk about resolutions. Uh, you know, what kind of disciplines can we do as Christians to, to lead us into a relationship, a growing relationship with Jesus Christ? That's our church's mission. If you're new with us or haven't been here for a while, we're all about trying to lead people into a growing relationship with Christ. We're not here to get your money. We're not here to make you believe in weird doctrines and stuff. No, we're here to help you develop your relationship with Jesus Christ. Because I believe when you get that relationship right, the rest of that stuff takes care of itself. Okay? Um, so how do we get to know Christ? How do we deepen this relationship with Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Now, you're going to have to hang in there with me. I'm going to use some big Christian words here. So if, you've, uh, if you're new to the game, or you know, predestination, and ooh, what is that? 
Verse 26, in the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. You ever felt like that? I really feel like I ought to pray, but I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. But the Spirit himself, God's Holy Spirit, his power, it intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. It's almost as if God says, I know, I got you. I know what you want to say, even though you can't say it. Let me help you out here. Verse 28, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, there's a Christian word for you, okay, means he, he knew you before you were ever created. And He knew that some of you would become Christians. He knew that long ago, before any of us were ever thought of. 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. There's another fancy Christian word, predestined. God didn't, he, he knew beforehand which of you would, would become Christians, those of us who would profess faith in Christ. And he also predestined it that you people would become like Christ. See what I'm saying? Uh, Russ Dickerson, long ago, God said, you know, someday there's going to be this guy named Russ. He's going to be a Christian. And because I know that, I am going to predestine it that he becomes like Christ. He lives a life to become like Christ. Now, none of us will ever get there in this lifetime. It's a process. But the point is, God knows those who he will call. And he also predestined it then that those who are called, you would become like Christ. But that's a process. It takes some, some effort here. Let's continue. Verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. There's more words in there. To be justified, that, that's a legal term. It's like the judge says, not guilty. You deserve punishment, but you're not guilty. And those whom God declared not guilty, because you believed in the promise of Christ, his sacrifice for your sins, God will also glorify you. Now, this whole point of this, God has predestined his people to be conformed to the image of his Son. Conformity to the image of God means to be like Jesus. It, to embrace Christ's likeness is the, one of God's purposes. God predetermined that each of us would become more like his son. He desires that. He wants us to be more like Christ. I love that our church is 
mission statement revolves around that idea to help people grow in their relationship with Christ. That is entirely biblical. That's right out of the Bible. That's what God wants for all of us. That's what he wants for you, to become more like his son, Jesus Christ. Now, this is not a suggestion or a feeling. Okay, This is something that God says, this needs to happen. We need to become more like Christ. Not, it'd be nice if we sat around and yeah, man, it would be nice to be more like Jesus. You know, he wants us to go beyond that. He wants more than that. We need to press on to maturity, becoming more like Christ. Turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, you just just a few pages ahead in your Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Okay, one of the Pauline letters, Paul has wrote a letter to, to the Corinthians here. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. And uh, Paul picks it up here, he says, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. We're not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. If you know your Old Testament, uh, after the Exodus, you know, you ever see the movie, The Ten Commandments? You know, the Moses, he let them out of, you know, they made it through the, 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 the parting of the sea and, and they got to the other side. Well, eventually Moses makes his way up the mountain. And he'll spend some time up there. And when he came down, what happened to his face? He looked like Rock Hudson. He looked like Brad Pitt. You know, his face just glowed. It was like, whoa! This look at look at him. Look at his face. Oh my gosh! And he was just like glowing. Like this guy has been in the presence of God. So Moses was like, "Don't here. I'm going to put a veil over my face, like a mask. There, you can't see that no more." Don't worry about the, the magic of the, the glowing face. Listen to what God has to say. So Moses used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently you know, at him. Verse 14, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 14. But their minds, talking about the, the Israelites, their minds were hardened. For until this very day at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. It's almost as if that veil that Moses puts on his face, it's, it's a boundary, it's a separation between the people and God. You people can't look upon God. We're not worthy. This veil is like a mask between you and God. But through Jesus Christ, the veil is ripped off. It's taken away so that we can be in one with Christ. That's uh, illustrated very graphically uh, at, the, at the crucifixion. When, when Christ was crucified, there used to be a veil, a big veil in the, to separate, I think, the Holy of Holies from the, 
Basically, there was a very holy place in the temple. God was supposed to be in there. There was a big veil there. You weren't allowed to go past there. But the moment Christ was crucified, what happened to that giant veil? It ripped. It split in half. From top to bottom. Not from the bottom up like people would do, but from the top down, God said, no more separation. Verse 16 there, but whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. For we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Becoming like Christ, God had to take that veil away. That veil is gone. There is nothing separating us from the love of Christ. There is nothing separating us from enjoying fellowship with Christ. There's nothing separating us from growing in our relationship with Christ. That transformation into Christ-likeness, that takes a lifetime. It's a continual, progressive Transformation, it's a process that takes the course of your life to complete. It takes, at the end, the, the, the decay of our corrupt bodies to be you know, remade again at the resurrection in a glorified body, holy, pure, Christ-like. I want to challenge each of you to consider the idea of spiritual Discipline, that growing in Christ is not a passive thing. Now, yes, God's the one that took the veil away. But that was to allow us to have a direct one-on-one with God without anything in the way. Becoming like Christ is not passive. It takes effort. It takes a reliance upon God. The Bible talks about both personal and interpersonal disciplines. Some you're supposed to do by yourself. Others we do as a group. Take prayer, for example. The Bible asks us to pray. Pray at home, by yourself. Uh, And then we pray here as a church, as a group. Sometimes things we are to do together. Sometimes we do them alone. And I think we are to practice both because Jesus practiced both. I don't want you to think of spirituality and the spiritual disciplines just as something we do by ourselves. I mean, as a church, we can come together to do some of these things. So what are some examples of spiritual disciplines? I could probably make a list a mile long, but I've kind of grouped it into five big areas. Number one... The first discipline in learning to be more like Christ, I believe, studying the Bible. That's why I'm so big on the Bible. You want to become like Christ, we need to learn more about this book. Because the the Word of God, that's the message. Number two, we need to work on our prayer life. What does it really mean to pray? I mean, when you say your prayers, if, if your prayer was answered, would it just benefit you? Or would it benefit somebody else? You think about your prayers. 
Giving to the church is a discipline. It's a spiritual discipline. I'm not making it up. The Bible asks, God asks us to give. Not so that somebody around here can drive a nice car. I don't see any uh, real fancy vehicles out there. Uh, I don't see any, uh, you know, people running off with money or anything. We want you to give, give, give here at the church so that we can give, give, give to other people. One of the big things I've learned over the last year is just how much we give away. We're not here to take. We're here to give. And to give requires us to have to have resources to do that. In doing that, we become more like Christ. It is a, it's a discipline. It's a service. It's a thing that we do to become more like Christ. To give so that we can bless others. Continue to worship. That is one that I, North Hills, I believe, uh, has done a fantastic job over the, the decades that I've, that I've been around. Uh, the music has always been kind of special, and the worship service is really cool, and other churches talk about our church, and not that we've got it right or perfect. We've just been blessed with some people who know how to play instruments and who have a heart for God. And then finally, service. Getting involved, serving other people. These are all spiritual disciplines. These are the things I want to look at over the course of the next month. Uh, another characteristic about disciplines that I want you to think about here before we wrap up is spiritual disciplines are not attitudes. They're practices. They're actions. They're, a discipline is something that you do. Okay. Uh, weightlifters. I've been in a lot of weight rooms over the years. A lot of guys walk into the weight room. Some of them get in there and they start lifting. Boom, man, they're pounding the weights. And you'll always have these guys that walk in and they, they just kind of hang out in the weight room. They stand here, the man, the, the rack's going bang, bang, bang. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I'm getting stronger. We're really getting pumped up. We're going to be good next year. It's like, dude, you've been in here an hour. Have you even lifted one weight? You know, and then they walk out like, hey, we had a good lift today. And you're like, you didn't do anything. Just hanging out at the gym isn't going to make you stronger. Is it going to make you a better athlete? You got to put in the work. Same thing with the Christian life. You know, the goal of practicing any discipline is not so much about just doing it, but doing it to be like Christ. Being like Jesus, being with Jesus, doing things with Jesus. The biblical way to grow is being more like Jesus is through rightly motivated doing the Biblical, spiritual disciplines. These are the things that make you stronger, that make you more like Christ. Big things, little things, it doesn't matter. I'm sitting here today and Chris uh, was helping with communion. Chris, he, takes, he helps all the time with that stuff. Chris doesn't make a big deal out of it. 
Nobody congratulates Chris later. Chris, you know God sees that. God says a sparrow doesn't fall on the ground without his notice. Any act of service, God sees that. He sees that as there's somebody doing something in the name of Jesus. And because you're doing that, you're going to become more like him. 1 Timothy 4, 7 says, Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. The goal is godliness, but we have to discipline ourselves to do that. Okay, So these things that we want to do, I think they're all biblical. They're things that the Bible talks about that will draw us closer to, to Christ. One thing we have to be aware of, again, it's not simply an attitude. For example, I play guitar. I, I played in church before years ago. I mean, I love to play guitar. It relaxes me. Uh, it makes me feel closer to Christ. I'll play hymns. I'll play worship songs, and I'll, I'll sing. And, but it's a hobby. Playing the guitar helps me feel closer to Jesus, but it doesn't help me to grow more Christ-like. You see what I'm getting at? So much of the American church is about the feeling. Why well, I feel I feel like a Christian today. All right, I'm feeling good. Uh, when I was a kid, back you know in the hills, and some of my Pentecostal uh, uncles, man, it was a lot of it was about feeling. How are we feeling today? I say, how are we feeling? Everybody's jumping around, and man, they felt great. I don't know if anybody got any closer to Christ or became more Christ-like, but they were having a good time, I know that. Spiritual disciplines are not feelings. They're things that we do. So, um, some things to think about, some things on the table here. I had put out a Facebook survey and had been filling around with a creating a basic Bible class. Well, I've talked to some of you about that, and we're going to start that next Sunday night. I also see there's a Tuesday morning Bible study, I think. I'm not sure who's in charge of that. Jen, God bless you. Okay. There's one on Wednesday night. There are opportunities to learn the Word of God, to do it together. Now, sure, you'll feel good being there, and you'll feel the fellowship, but you'll actually get into the Bible, get into the Word, and see what it actually says. That's the discipline. And that's how we become more like Christ. For some of our older youth, we've got some things uh, cooking up. One of the things that I've noticed about our older kids, our high school, uh, uh, some of our middle school kids, you guys do a lot. We ask you to do a lot. You run the car show. You have, you have spaghetti dinners. You, you did uh, Little Princess Night for the little girls. But we always have you doing, 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 doing all of these things. It's time that we as a church, I think, invest in you. In other words, pour something into you. 
I want to help you in your desire to be more like Christ. You guys work so hard, but have so little, I think, sometimes poured into you. God bless Julie for Sunday school. I think that might be the only real teaching that the older youth get. How are we going to prepare the next generation of people here at North Hills if we don't invest in those people? Thank you, Kayla, for helping to organize meetings, trying to pull things together, getting devotionals together. Thank you, uh, Jesse and Grace and Savannah and some of the others for their faithfulness and, and putting these things together and wanting to come and be a part of that. You know, fellas, young fellas, what are we going to do? What am I going to do? I've got young men in my own house. I can't get them to come to church. I was there. I've been there. These are spiritual disciplines that I want to take a closer look at and see what we can do. So, some different things that we'll, we'll be doing. You're going to hear me a lot talking about studying the Bible, praying, giving to the church, never giving so that I can have a car. I don't get anything. I don't want a car. You give so that we can give it away. That's where the blessing's at. I wish we didn't have such things as bills we got to pay and, and that kind of thing. I wish we could just take it all and just give it out like the church used to do. We'll continue on our worship and we'll continue to challenge each other as we, we try to serve God and, and to serve, serve Christ. So there's a lot that I've put out at you, a lot to think about. If you haven't made any kind of a resolution this year, just find one thing, one spiritual discipline that you're going to work on so that you can do the thing that God has called you to do, which is to become more like Christ. That takes effort. It takes action. you got to work at it. And there are a lot of us here at church who want to help you to do that and can help you on your way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this, this uh, beautiful morning. It's cold out there, Lord. Uh, we're looking forward to some warmer weather. Uh, but Lord, uh, again, thank you for the chance for us to be here. For those who get themselves to church, not just to, to come in here so they can feel better, which is a blessing that you give to us, but as an act of service, as understanding that you've called us to be together as the people of God. Father, help us today to look at these disciplines, to incorporate them into our lives, to not just talk about it, to not just show up in the weight room, but to get some weights off the rack and let's get busy. Father, we love you today in the name of Jesus. Amen.